What's up? What up, Dex? How are you, bud? I'm good. I'm excited for Chris Hansen. I know. <laughs> well, you you actually know him. I, I don't think I've ever met him before. Yeah, he's he's just like a fun guy to know um, just because it's so well, interesting. Well, wait, wait. He's a fun guy to know. Not if you meet him in the kitchen with a bunch of cameras around <laughs> yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, but he's a great guy to like, listen, I, sh- I worked on the same floor as him. So to send him into some random office is always a really good trick. You know, it's just it's so funny. Hey, do you know what's so funny? Teresa Judice, she's doing setup shots already with this new boyfriend, I noticed. Oh, really? So, I, so I noticed the photographer, the, the people that shot this photo with some guy she was apparently dating a few months ago, sort of in the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, wow, this is an interesting shot. Like, why was this guy in Jersey? And then all of a sudden, I know how paparazzi shoot in New York. And it was the same agency, same person that shot the photo of her and her new boyfriend. I'm like, oh, Teresa Judice doing setup shots with the paparazzi. She's, she's always kind of done setup shots, right? Yeah, but it's and just, listen, I, I am, when they do it. Let, let me be clear. I am not against setup shots at all. Like, I, I am all for them. I think that they benefit both the star, the paparazzi, the news outlets. I am not against it. I just feel like people look down on it. And I personally know I'm like, set them up all you want. Make your life easier. Go out, call them, let them know where you're going to be so you're not being hounded all the time. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Yes, you're right. But it was just so funny. Like, I just caught on to it. It was like, boom, setup shot. I, all right, I can't. It's totally a setup shot because she was at, so apparently, she was at 235th. And nobody, like, people really don't like, there's no paparazzi waiting outside 235th. There was no tip there. It was like, oh, this was set up. Like, they're, they're kissing. Again, like, it's they're, like, they're, I, I, don't, I don't hate on it. I set like it. Up. Hey, listen, it's a business. I hope up. she got paid Teresa. on it. I hope she got paid on it. And I hope she comes on our podcast soon because, God, we've been asking her forever. Yeah, I mean, we had her ex-husband on, so, and he talked about his life. We've had her her ex-husband. We've had her brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. I think Melissa Gorgas actually might be coming on too soon. Oh, nice. All right, let's get to Chris Hansen because I, I, you know, I'm fascinated by this guy's story. I'm fascinated by just what he does for a living. And, you know, he's covered so many huge events over time. I don't know. So, so. Let me just do the intro here. So our, our, our guest today might be one of the most feared people to ever see when they are walking into a room. He's a television journalist. He's hosted God, so many shows. One of them became insanely popular as it was a tough subject, but that also, you know, it's it's entertaining, which is to catch a predator. We have ourselves today, Chris Hansen. Chris, it's so good to see you, brother. Uh, it, it, it's great to have you, man. I always say... You know, you, you really are, in some ways, you're the most feared person to walk into a room. Is that correct? <laughs> like, I can't think of any two other people. I can't think of another person currently alive that I'd be more afraid if they walked into a room right now. You know, <laughs> whenever that- uh, somebody comes to the door, you know, soliciting something, they're speechless. They don't they don't uh, they don't know what to do. They just kind of back up slowly and, and disappear. So we don't, don't get I was going to say you'd anymore. be like. <laughs> You'd be Grubhub's worst nightmare yeah. to show up. They're like, wait a oh, second, yeah. I've got a bag of food exactly. and I'm at this door yeah. and Chris Hansen answers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're killing it on Cameo. I think you're like, you know, you got to be up there as one of the busiest people on Cameo because it's such a great Cameo. It, what? It's, you know, they talked me into doing it and, uh, you know, I knew it would be potentially a good thing for fan engagement, but there is no other way that a guy like me can reach out organically and connect with fans and followers in such a way. And it's been really a cool thing from 
you know, being able to show my comedic side, such as it is, to, you know, being able to just share some experiences or impart some advice, I guess. And it's 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 really been amazing. The response has been overwhelming. And it's it's fun to do as well. What's the number one request you get from people? Well, you know, it's the predator monologue. <laughs> uh, I have it down to a, a bit of a system. But, you know, it, well, the funny thing is, I don't know, I, be, I guess I've been doing it about a year and a half. And and over the course of it, I've sort of refined it and made sure it looks good. And, you know, it, it's funny. I have the timing down to it. But I, I started taking whosoever uh, name it was for and making a, you know, a, a racy screen name out of it, which usually includes, you know, the number 69 or something like that. And <laughs> I've done it so many times now that it's become a challenge with every name to outdo myself and make the real name funnier in a screen name and so now people <laughs> automatically ask oh and do that screen name thing too it's like well you know i hope i never run out of clever ideas for it you know and especially <laughs> now you know you get a lot of requests so it's you know you try to stand your and your comedic game as well as your you know your your true journalism uh, game as well yeah so, so let's start from a little from the beginning you know because you know you started working at dateline and you cover tough subjects you covered the Columbine High School massacre. You covered the Oklahoma City bombing, the Unabomber, the TWA flight, and more. Did that have effect on just your regular daily life? Because you're so invested in these subjects, did you just have a real, like, kind of just like a negative outlook on humankind? Because it's just, it, it is a little bit tough on someone. Because I know from maybe Dex, me covering like entertainment news for so much, I would be like, Man, this is just, you start to not realize it's not really, it's such a business. And it just, I mean, you're, again, doing more world news and more stuff that matters where we're doing stupid tabloid stuff. But Adam, let him answer the question. <laughs> I know. I'm just kind of venting about my own life, but yeah. That's all right. You know, yeah, but it's, you know, I've covered investigative and crime stuff for, you know, almost 40 years now, and you can't let it um dictate your attitude towards the world and I've always tried to stay pretty optimistic through it all yeah there's no question I mean you come home after covering the you know the uh, Newtown Connecticut massacre and 20 kids killed and six faculty members it was just the anniversary of that uh, a few days ago um yeah it makes you really dig deep and think about humanity and how one human being could do this to so many others um you know, I started as a reporter at 18 years old at Michigan State University covering various things around campus. And, you know, my interest in crime investigative stuff just kind of grew from really having Jimmy Hoffa kidnapped a mile and a half from where I grew up as a kid and being fascinated by it. And the investigative reporters and the network correspondents were on the scene and the cops and the FBI agents and the mystery and the intrigue of it all. And I, you know, sort of got bit by the bug then. But you're right. I mean, virtually every major catastrophe that's happened on my watch I've had a piece of in one way or the other and it 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 gives you a I think a, a broad sense of what the worst part of humanity can be but also how people survive you know I, I interview these um, young women who have been traumatized by the different guys I've investigated and am investigating right now and you see that there is hope in an Elizabeth Smart or Alicia Kozak or Coco Berthman who's had such trauma in their lives and come out, you know, the other side as a 26 or 30 year old woman and and they change other lives and they help other young women to get through this trauma and they, they educate so it never happens again. You know, I've always thought 
that if you can get in the mind of a criminal or a predator and understand it a little bit and then hear the voice of a victim, you can prevent other people from becoming victims. And that's, you know, sort of become my mantra in, in all these projects that I'm working on right now. What do you think was the toughest story out of all of these for you to cover? Is it a is it a 9-11, a Columbine? Like, which one of them, like, you walked home and said, damn, that's that's brutal. Well, 9-11 changed everything for me because it wasn't just a terrorist attack, um, you know, in Yemen or, um, you know, in at a U.S. embassy in Dar es Salaam, you know, over in Africa. It was in my city, you know, where I worked and lived, where I could see it from my office. Um, and you really walked around New York in those days. And you guys probably, you know, are hip to this, either from being there or knowing people who were there. And you wondered, should I walk on the side of the Metropolitan Life Building or the Yale Club, because which is the most likely target to be hit by the next terrorist attack? It wasn't in our minds then in 2001. Will it happen again? Could it happen again? It's when is it going to happen again? You, you go to Washington, D.C. for an interview and you see, you know, armored um, anti-aircraft missiles, you know, along the beltway. It's like, oh, my God, what is this? You get on an airplane, you know, and the flight attendant says to you, you know, you guys sitting up front here, you're my last line. I'm going to count on you. Can I count on you if something happens? Like, we're going to help thwart a terrorist attack. And, and and so it took a while to get through that mentality and the, you know, the anxiety that so many people had. And, you know, obviously New York, around the world, but in New York and Washington, D.C. And, 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 and everywhere else that was impacted by this. But that has to be, I mean, that was our Pearl Harbor. That was our generation's you know, world war. I mean, obviously we've had wars and, and some of it grew out of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, but without a doubt that that's the most life-shaping, career-shaping um, event that I've ever covered for sure. As a journalist, break down your job. Like, are you writing your own script? Are you like working with the editors to cut the shots? Are you like, are you trying to find the angle with it? Or, you know, how does it work, you know, for someone who doesn't know, understand what you exactly each, do? Each story is different. You know, the big projects I'm working on now for uh, Discovery Plus, the streaming service, you know, uh, I help conceive them. Um, I end up on some of them being the executive producer as well as the talent and appearing in it. Um, I help bring the pe people in to agree to do the interviews. And then, you know, I have some input um, depending on which project on scripting, some of it's hands-on, some of it's written by a producer who knows how to write for me. Um, you know, I work and have worked with producers of the years who, who, you know, I can change the script, um, for the sake of changing it. I don't know that I can make it any better. I may tweak things in the booth as I record it, but I've been blessed with so many different producers and talented behind the scenes people that they write in my voice, you know, after a period of time working with them. And, and, and it's, I don't, I, I don't tend to change things for the sake of changing, you know, in the old days when I started out, you know, and we used three quarter inch tapes to edit. Um, yeah, I would sit in the, in the editing suite and I'd cut my own stuff. It wasn't particularly great looking, you know, but it's, it passed for TV from, you know, the state capital of Michigan at TV 10 action news in Lansing. But, you know, for me to go in and tell a editor, who's, you know, at a cinematography level, 
change this shot, do that shot. I mean, I may say once in a while, or what about this or what about that? But, you know, I'm, I mostly look on at the level of stuff I'm doing today in awe of the professionals with whom I work because there's no way I could cut something like that. I mean, I, I know what I like. I may make a suggestion, but these people, these men and women are, are the absolute best in their field. So, you know, it's, it's very much a collaboration, but each project's different. You know, if I do something on the YouTube channel, it's, you know, it's just me. It's, it's my interview. I have a producer who's great and, and takes care of a lot of it. And that's wonderful and handles the technology that I don't understand. If it's the, um, the podcast predators I've caught, that's, you know, me with a producer and a, you know, executive producer thinking about, okay, what do people want to know about the rabbi, David Kay, who has become iconic for getting caught in a kitchen in suburban Washington, D.C., uh, in a predator investigation? What don't people know and how can we take them behind the scenes and inside the story and what has happened since the story? So, you know, everything is a different sort of collaboration, but everything is, hey, wait, you forgot that or what about this? Or, you know, you need you can never be your own editor because you, you'll miss something, you know. What, is it is it a pretty competitive atmosphere inside these newsrooms? Because Adam and I have worked in an entertainment newsroom before, sure. and it's obviously a different beast. But, you know, working inside this like news style newsroom, is it like you're all fighting to get the best stories or like you have your beat and no one else kind of stomples on that? Well, I think, you know, you sort of in, in a local newsroom or a network newsroom, you know, you have your your niche. You know, mine's always been crime investigative stuff. And, and oftentimes somebody comes to you and says, hey, this is, really isn't my thing. Take a look at this. Or I heard that. And I may say to somebody else, you know, back in the day in the Washington Bureau, hey, you know, this is a political thing I need your help with or an advice with or a tip with. And and yeah, it's, it's different in my end. You know, I just finished an interview moments ago with, uh, you know, Harvey and Charles on TMZ uh, promoting, you know, the, the Discovery Plus thing. And, and, you know, they look at it, if they're interviewing me, I think they look at it as a, okay, this is more of a traditional news thing than they would if they were talking to a celebrity about, you know, the new movie or the cause of the day or whatever else. So, but it's, there's competition, but I think once you carve it out, people know you for the sort of thing you do and they rely on you for your expertise and energy and that, you know, that line of, of, of reporting. What was your most ex dangerous experience while covering a story? You know, this is going to sound funny, but I've been around the world. I've been in Africa hunting scammers and India hunting child slave labor people and Cambodia hunting people who ran brothels with six, seven, eight-year-old girls forced into sexual slavery. Got out of that really without a scratch. The last two times I almost got my ass kicked, literally, were a few years ago doing a story on bicycle thieves in New York City and counterfeit Mophie salesman in a mall in Connecticut. These guys just erupted <laughs> the violence. So in terms of, you know, hands-on, face-to-face danger, that's, those are the two things. But, you know, I think, do, honestly... Do you, have a, do you have a team that's there to protect you yeah, in, in case someone goes time, nuts? You, you, you confront somebody at a mall on a Mophie sale, you don't anticipate trouble, so you don't have somebody there. <laughs> this guy wanted to... Dude, I'm dancing on my feet and, you know, don't do that. Don't touch my cameraman. But, yeah, there's obviously, you know, the predator thing is always, you know, very fluid, something you really have to pay attention to. When do you step aside and let law enforcement take over? I mean, again, we just finished another predator investigation 
10 days ago and you know it all went smoothly everybody did what they're supposed to do but you know something tips the wrong way you do need to know when to get out of the way and let law enforcement do their job and that's you know that's something that it's different every time you do it um have you and, ever physically been assaulted, though? Like, I, I know someone's kind of acting like they want to punch you, but has ever anyone ever actually made no contact? One's ever gotten, no one's ever gotten a lick in that I can remember, and, and I, I, I would remember. But it's, it's, I've been threatened. I mean, honestly, unless it's a spontaneous situation in a predator case or something where you're confronting somebody and they lose their temper, you know, we have the drop on them. You know, we have the element of surprise. By the time the guy figures out what's going on, and that I've cut him from ear to ear in this interview. He he doesn't even know he's bleeding for two days, you know. And then you know they they start to get mad. What I worry about more is you know after the fact or somebody stalking you or something like that. And I and I've had situations like that. And law enforcement is always very good and very responsive. And and you know there have been some prosecutions and restraining orders because of it. But generally speaking, people know better. You know, that, you know, nothing good is going to come from threatening or throwing a punch, you know, at me. It's 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 going to be an overwhelming response that's just not going to play out well for them. Yeah. So obviously, if you're listening now, Chris, you know, work, started working with Perverted Justice and he hosted this series that uh, to catch a predator that became a huge success. But, it, you know, if you go on MSNBC, they always have like marathons of it. Were you surprised and how popular the show became? Yeah. I mean, I thought we'd do it one time. And that would be it. It was it was never conceived, Adam, as as its own show. It was a, a story idea that I pitched for Dateline and wrote it up. And you know, they said, "Well, this is interesting." And Perverted Justice was making some news online, doing what it does, which was you know, posing as kids online. And when a guy hit on them and solicited a, um, uh, sex, they would post his picture online. And I thought, well. If we took that a step further and had them as decoys and we wired a house with hidden cameras and microphones and, and you know, the guy came in, it could be pretty compelling. I mean, you know, if I had pitched a story on computer predators where we just had video of somebody typing on a keyboard and some, you know, tragic but anecdotal stories from parents and kids who were abused, you know, that's two minutes on nightly news. But what I realized is that, you know, we could use our our smarts, our knowledge, our, you know, enterprise news sense to get behind the scenes and infiltrate this crime in a way that it was never exposed before. And it, we took people inside the room, inside the guy walking in, in his head, in my head in a way, and watched this interaction uh, between me and a guy who's figured out he's busted. But the first one we did you know, which has now been, gosh, 16 years ago in uh, Bethpage, Long Island, you know, I got hung up in traffic getting there and I'm, my mind is wandering. I'm thinking, what if we just spent, you know, 50K of NBC's money at the time and, and nobody shows up, you know, it's not going to look good for me. And, and everybody knew it was risky, but, you know, two seconds later, Lynn Keller, my producer at the time called and said, you know, where the hell are you? We've got two guys ready to show up and 45 minutes you need to get here and you know over the next two days 17 guys showed up in that first investigation one guy who surfaced was a new york city firefighter so i thought wow and you know it took a while to to you know just kind of let it all soak in and figure out how we're going to do it and it happened so quickly in fact 
you know, the first guy came in, it was fine. Second guy came in, confronted him, fine. Now, in these two early cases, we didn't have, you know, police there in a parallel investigation. It was just us. Now, we obviously generated some successful prosecutions in those two first investigations, but it was just us, and we're figuring it out as we went along. So I get to about the third guy, and I walk out with the wrong transcript. And I said, it says here you wanted to do this, that, and the other thing with a 13-year-old girl named Suzanne. No, it's not me. Excuse me. I went back. And a 14-year-old girl named uh, Bethany. No, it's not me. You know, uh, a 13-year-old girl named, you know, Sue. Yeah, that's me. Okay, very good. You know, and, and it, <laughs> they actually, when, I wrote the, when I wrote the Predator book, NBC did a special, and they cut all that together so I could actually see it for the first time as it actually happened. And it was you know, undeniably one of those comical moments, but not trying to be, it just was, yeah, it just happened. you know, it was happening so fast and so furiously that the, the transcripts got all bollocked up on the, you know, dining room table. And I just grabbed the wrong <laughs> one twice in a row. And I finally got the right one. So yeah, that's me. Okay, good. Well, that's, cool. <laughs> that's so funny. I, I, Cause I, I want to know, how did you always audition the people to play the 13 year old, 15 year old actors? Because I always wanted to audition for that part. And I thought it was like a great role. I could play the role of some kid and uh, but who were those people? Well, they were different in the different investigations. Uh, that was a joke, by the way, guys. I no one laughed at that, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Chris did. He's like, I hear that all the time. But Dax, you didn't laugh. I, I just go for you. It would have been fine, Adam. You know, <laughs> those dimples for sure, right, man. Dressed you yeah. up in a hoodie or something. We could have made that work. That wouldn't have been a problem. But no, I, I think the the one who obviously there was Del Harvey, who was you know a member of Perverted Justice, um, who was very good in the early investigations at you know being either a boy or a girl, and and just spectacular at it, and and sort of aged out a little bit. And then the next most famous one I think would have been Casey, who it just so happened that we we were renting a home on the Jersey Shore to do an investigation. And we always look for, you know, uh, 18, 19 year old boy or girl who, you know, looks younger, uh, who may be a theater student or a police cadet, you know, somebody who was hip to what was going on. And, and that's usually what we do. Well, we asked the, the owner of the home from whom we were renting this big place on, on the shore. And he said, well, you know, my daughter is in college. She's a theater student and she looks a lot younger than she is. I said, well, you know, or I didn't say it. Lynn Keller, my producer, said and said, you know, could we talk to her? And we hired her to do that investigation. And she stayed with us for for, uh, several after that. And she was just very good at it. And what the decoy, of course, and we had some acting students and some uh, police cadet in in one of the recent ones in, um, in Fairfield, Connecticut, what, what it does, it allows us to see this moment between the chat, which is very incriminating, the arrival, which is very incriminating, and me confronting them, this in-between moment where the guy is actually trying to interact with the person he thinks he's going to sexually assault, violate. And it, 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 it's created undoubtedly some creepy moments, but also some very insightful moments on where these guys' heads are at. You know, coming in for the hug, um, you know, one guy goes to the bathroom, the decoy leaves, I walk out, he walks out of the bathroom, I'm there. You know, that's startling, to say the least. And, and, and you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's edgy because you got to r- find the right person to do it, but it's, it's very telling. It's great. I, I, it's so, I mean, I know I'm, I don't want to laugh, but it, you can't help but laugh at it. I was just watching, you know, I was with you coming on. I wanted to uh, watch some old videos and just kind of 
remember some of them. And I saw the one guy who was eating pizza and just so confused the entire time. Just so cool. Yeah, he, he, this is a guy who showed up with a, a marriage contract. Yes, yes the, marriage the marriage contract. That he had, you know, somehow concocted in his mind that it would not be illegal if she signed this and they had sex, a 13-year-old girl. And, you know, what, what's he thinking about? He drives all the way from Boston yeah. to Fairfield, Connecticut for this. And he marches in with the pizza and offers me a piece and the crew a piece. And, yeah, I mean, <laughs> some of these guys. And, and we'll, you know, in the podcast, Predators I've Caught, we'll get into him and, and so many others. You know, now that I've started to dig into this for the purposes of the podcast, uh, which – the first episode is out now on, on Apple Podcasts. Y- y- you start to realize that so much has happened with these guys that I didn't even know about. You know, we're talking about a base of 400 guys, you know, right around there who have surfaced in these investigations. You know, what did they do afterwards? Did they clean up their lives? Did they go straight? Did they get, uh, you know, um, you know, deported? You know, every one of these is a fascinating story in and of itself. Do you, and, do you uh, have the? Do you have these guys on the podcast, or you're just giving me an update? Going, it's me going through it as of right now, the way we're starting it, and it just it's it's been really interesting to me to go back through all this stuff and to solicit information from members of the so-called TCAP community, you know, the To Catch a Predator community, and there are very loyal people who keep track of these guys and they, you know, they, they have websites and, and chat groups and, and they're very, very loyal to me and they're very helpful in this endeavor. And, and so I, I have a lot of contact with these guys and, and they, you know, keep me posted on who's doing what, of course we do our independent research, but, you know, we get information from a lot of different areas, but it's, it's just fascinating what's happened to these guys since then. And it, it's a never ending source of material for a podcast, clearly. Have you ran into any of these predators again in real life outside of the cameras being around? And I'm not even talking like a stalking situation. Yeah. Just someone no, I know what you're saying. I, I'm shocked that I haven't in an airport or something like that. I mean, the closest that I came to it was, you know, in the Fairfield investigation a few years back, one of the guys who showed up was a fellow who I had met on the commuter train when I lived in Connecticut and commuted into the city. And he looked familiar. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And he looked familiar. And, and I, I thought, who is this guy? And he walks in. He says, Chris, no, Chris, no. And the crew all thought that, you know, he just knew me from TV. But I said, that's Choo Choo Charlie from the train. I, I, I know who he is. And he was, you know, he, he I talked to him years later and asked him to do an interview. And he politely declined. But uh, um, that's the closest is I've come to that scenario. But I mean, who knows who I've passed without knowing it. But you know, when you consider, you know, 400 guys across the country, you know, the odds are good that at some point I'm going to be somewhere and see someone who got, you know. Well, has anyone ever actually thanked you for stopping them before it actually continued on and they got themselves into even more trouble? Yeah, there were a couple half-hearted thank yous during the investigations when I finished up the interview and before the police arrested them. I don't think they were that thankful when they're all the way in cuffs. You know, I, I just 10 days ago in the uh, Genesee County, Michigan sting, you know, I had guys, well, thank you. You know, I'll never do this again. I said, what do you think should happen to you? Because I often do. And said, well, 
I think that I should just be let go. I've learned my lesson. I'll never do it again. I see how this looks, but you have to understand, Mr. Hansen, that I was really only there to make sure the girl was okay and to set her on the right path, that she shouldn't be communicating with adults and, and setting up meetings in a hotel room or a house or whatever. She's too young for that. And, and I said, you, you know how many times I've heard that story? And of course, when they realize they're going to be you know, taken away in an unmarked police car and fingerprinted and prosecuted, it's, it's, uh, it's a, they're a little less thankful. Was there any issues, though? Because I heard there was issues with, you know, everyone got, a, I guess the people who came to the house got arrested. But when it came to the actual getting, you know, what's the word? Um, sorry, I get prosecuted. What, what was there any issues with the prosecution of some of these people? Like, were they able to get out of it at all? Or they're, as soon as they got in? 100% prosecution. Everybody who was prosecuted, there was only one case on the West Coast that lingered for so long that the guy had served some time and and um, the, 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 the judge, I don't know whether it's no pros or no low contender or what exactly it was, but he, the guy, after all he'd been through legally, was let go. But every single other case uh, aside from that, there has been a successful guilty plea, no contest plea, uh, court trial or a jury trial. It's 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 virtually a hundred percent conviction rate. So I had just a random question because I've worked in TV for so long and everything. Sure. How is it? How are you able to show their faces? Because I got to imagine that. Those people do not want their faces on TV, no. so they would never sign a release. But like that's kind of the big thing in TV is like you got to sign a release so that people have their face on TV. Is it different because it's a, a criminal act? Well, it's a couple of different things. I mean, it's 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 coverage of news. I mean, if you're if you're covering a breaking news story and it involves the commission of a felony, you don't block that person's face out. You don't yeah. block the person's face out in a perp walk in New York City or Chicago or Detroit. Um, you know, it's it's not an entertainment. People would argue it's entertainment, but it's it's we're covering the commission of a felony, and legally there is no reasonable expectation for privacy, so they don't have a case here. Now, lawyers have tried to make the case. They'll try to you know have a hearing or say that this is wrong or inappropriate in some way. Well, you know, it's it, it's very simple. Don't don't hook up with a 13, 14, or fifteen year old girl online for sex, and you can avoid the whole thing. Um, yeah, there's due process. Yeah, everybody's got rights. Everybody's entitled to that. And I'll fight for anybody's rights uh, in the world. But, you know, if you put yourself in that position, you can't come crying and whining that we put your face on TV. And, you know, I know in the entertainment side, and I deal with this all the time in terms of, you know, getting releases for interviews and things. And, you know, we just never really did that on the news side anywhere I've ever worked. Now, in the doc world, you know, we get them, but you know, in this, you don't need them is the short answer. What was, so you never got nervous for your own life when you do a situation like this? I mean, obviously there's tons of protection outside and stuff, but, you know, who knows what could happen? I mean, I would feel scared or nervous going in, and I know you feel protected because there is police there. And No, I'd be lying to you if I, if I didn't tell you I got nervous, and if you're not nervous, you're not paying attention, and, you, you know, you lose your edge, and that's when trouble can start, you know? You got to you got to be a little bit on edge and, and you got to be very watchful and you got to see things before they happen. And you got to remember that, you know, besides trying to conduct a cohesive interview that creates information that allows me to get inside this guy's head, you know, I'm looking at their hands. I'm looking at a lot of different things and yeah, it's controlled to the extent that something like this can be and police are nearby and, 
you know, if there's any indication that the guy is carrying a weapon or has a, you know, permit or brags about toting a gun, I mean, I don't confront him. I let the police take him and let it, the case go as the case goes. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, I'm on that's, the But that's why you were so good at it. Granted, and, and there are times when I wear, you know, protective vest or whatever, and, and you know, we lock those into it security-wise. You were so good at it because you came in very calm. You didn't come in yelling at them. You questioned them, but you didn't come with um, an attitude. I think you, you asked good questions to them, and it wasn't like a high energy. It was like, hey, what are you doing here? And I think kind of calmed them down in some way and maybe kind of brought realization to them like, oh, man, I just got myself into a lot of trouble. That's why you were such a great host at it. And I think people came into even like not just to see the people get arrested, but they came to see you because you were charismatic too. Like I enjoyed watching you. Look, out of the last ones we did 10 days ago, not one refused to talk to me. Not one. Out of the entire Genesee County, Shiawassee County investigation, not one refused to talk to me. Now, you know, I'd like to think that's some great skill, but at the end of the day, my theory on it is this. Anybody can jump out of the bushes. Any reporter can jump out of the bushes with the TV crew and scare the hell out of somebody and create 10 minutes of dramatic TV. The skill to this job and you guys are doing it now with this interview, is asking questions, allowing people to share their thoughts, to get in their mind, and, and to be patient. And sometimes the best question is, explain. And it's okay to have silence for a minute. Sometimes the uncomfortable silence creates a moment in an interview that is very insightful. And look, I'm not in a hurry to get out of there. I'm there to do the story. So I got all night, you know. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere until it's over. So you can, yeah. you know, you can sit here and look at me all you want, or you can talk to me. And more often than not, these guys are carrying a burden with them that they're trying to get out from under anyway. And I think sometimes it's cathartic. Sometimes they're relieved as much as they know they're in trouble. Sometimes I really think that they got this off their chest and all right, I'm done with it now. You know, geez, it's over. It's sneaking around and so, all this stuff. So we, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, you've, 400 guys have gone through and you've had them prosecuted. What was the creepiest exchange that you felt like that really stands out in your mind? Like, wow, this guy was really messed up in the head or he had some gnarly intentions. You know, there's got to be at least one person that stands out. Well, I think it's about a hundred weight tie for first, you know, and all for different reasons. <laughs> you know, I, and I don't mean to cop out because, you know, you could easily pick one, but, you know, was anyone less dangerous to the other? I mean, obviously, there was a guy in Fairfield, Connecticut, who had in his vehicle rope, tape, a video camera, and a gun in the council. I mean, that's scary. He was going to take a 13-year-old girl for a driving lesson in a parking lot. We had a guy show up. And this brings in, up an interesting, you know, ethical debate on all this. I mean, wait, what, what guy shows up who's too young to be exposed or prosecuted? You know, is, is that... An 18-year-old coming for a 14-year-old, is that okay because it's only four years? Is it any less dangerous than a 28-year-old coming for a 14-year-old? And we had this happen a few weeks ago where a guy came in who was 18, and he was there for a 13, 14-year-old. And I interviewed the law enforcement uh, sheriff in charge of this investigation, and I asked him the right question. I said, does he get a pass because of his age? And the answer is at least in my opinion, in the opinion of law enforcement, no, because that 18-year-old who happened to be a babysitter, who had tons of graphic porn, who was wearing a butt plug when he came in there, wanted <laughs> to do bad stuff 
to a young kid. I, I'm not making this up. You know, it, this is how it went down. And so if you weigh the danger, you know, he's just as dangerous as a 28, 38, 48, 58, 68, 70 year old guy walking in. So, yeah, he makes the movie. Absolutely. In my opinion. But, you know, they're all they're all creepy. I mean, you know, the rabbi was creepy in his own way because of the way he walked in there so confidently with a bounce in his step to, you know, set up a date with the 13 year old boy. Jeff Sokol was creepy, the pizza guy. Um, you know, there was a guy in Riverside County, California, who was, you know, it was his third time he'd been arrested and had lived and abused some stepkids and had done time and really just a bad, bad, creepy guy. And he wasn't going to stop until he was caught. You know, the teachers are always, you know, upsetting. And so many, you know, what they want to do with these kids. It's, it's just, it's outrageous. Did you ever have like flip it around and have an older women going for younger boys or, you know, I get asked that all the time and it's a great question. Um, we just don't see, there are some anecdotal cases and I, I wrote about it in the book a few years back that I wrote, but Generally speaking, the, the psychiatrists, therapists who work in this world say that when you talk about female predators, you're more likely to see the teacher going after the student. Female predators do not typically like the anonymity of the online interaction, where male predators get off on it. They like it. And so we never saw and have never seen, like I said, from 2004 till 10 days ago, we've never seen a woman show up looking for a young boy, at least in our investigation. Chris, you, you, you have a pretty heavy life with the news that you have to cover. When you want to turn it all off, you sit down on your couch at night, you turn on your TV. What the hell do you watch? Do you watch like a catfish because it's in your line of field or do you watch like the Queen's Gambit? <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I watch a lot of sports. You know what I was into, though, that it were just we were obsessed with in this house and, and the kids are the older kids, especially were obsessed with was Fargo this season with Chris Rock. Yeah. I mean, I thought that that was just a great series. I thought it was great to see him and I'm a fan of his anyway. It was great to see him in a dramatic role. I'm sad he got whacked. Well, I shouldn't say anything. Spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> um, cut that part out. No, but I, I mean, the cast was brilliant. The storyline was brilliant. The writing was brilliant. The shooting was, you know, just great and grand. And, and um, you know, it just, the only problem with that show, quite honestly, is that you know, because it was FX, it runs a little late. They don't have to be out exactly at, you know, specific times they had commercials. And you finish watching it on a Sunday night, you know, and you're you're sitting there. It's like 11.10 and you're like, all right, all right how am I going to go to sleep now? Because it was so, you know. Again, though, it's intense aggressive. stuff that you're watching. I'm like, I'm kind of yeah, surprised. I'll, I think I'll zone, listen, I'll zone out to sports and music and, you know, I, you know, the average day, if I, you know, because of the, you know, the pandemic, there's a lot of working at home for all of us. And, and, you know, a couple of my production offices are just, you can't get in there unless you're absolutely the guy editing. So, you know, I've done a lot of work from home, you know, and so you end up with the TV on all day and, you know, I, obviously the news in the morning, the GMA, and then, you know, I, honestly, if I'm on the Peloton bike, I'll watch, you know, uh, Kelly and Ryan for a minute and, you know, I like the view. I like to hear what they're doing. I'll flip over to CNN and see what's going on. Say you're staying all ABC. I like it. Staying yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I flip around. You know, I want to see what the what the other networks are doing, and and I like you know CBS, and obviously I spent 20 years in NBC, so I, I I check them all out. But it's funny when you do that work at home thing, 
you know, because I've only traveled, you know, a dozen times. I've been out to L.A. twice for different projects. And, and you know, there's a lot of this kind of stuff, you know. It's, you know, for months every day, a new ring light or a camera or microphone or something arrived at the house or the apartment. And, you know, we just boxes started stacking up. And, you, you know, you went to work. You know, you just did your job. One of my... F- one of my favorite journalists, and I don't even know if you want to say, I guess he is a journalist. Yeah, I mean, I loved Matt Lauer. Uh, personally, as a, as a guy on the street, I he, he was always very, very kind to me. We had a great relationship. Do you think, he, I, I mean, me personally, I hope he comes back. Do you think we'll see Matt Lauer get back out there? I don't know. You know, again, there's, um, I, I'm not going to tell you that I was best buddies with him or anything, but I, I did know him well. I had been to, you know, charity things and work social events with him. And, and he was nothing but very pleasant to me, both sitting on a set with him on the Today Show and, and, and being at a dinner table with him. And, and I understand the gravity of the allegations and, and the things that, that happened. And, I think women should always be very, very comfortable to come forward with whatever with whatever has happened to them. But I, I never saw him as somebody who would be involved in any sort of criminal activity. I just I don't I don't I, I don't get the feeling that it was in his DNA. I mean, maybe some, you know, personal you know, things that, that came to light that weren't the best from an HR standpoint. And, and I know that the allegations were serious. I, I've heard a lot of different stories on it, but I, I don't, I don't think that was criminal behavior. I just, I just, I, and maybe I'm, I'm naive about it because I know him and my judgment's clouded on it, but I just don't see him as a guy who would be involved in anything criminal. I just don't see it. So does he come back? Does he do something? You know, he's a talented guy. Super challenging. Was, was there any story that came out that you were like, I knew that was coming, like a Harvey Weinstein story or a Bill Cosby story that before that news broke, because you've been working kind of in this industry, you're like, I knew that was going to happen? Well, I knew Epstein was coming, and it's one of my great career regrets that I wasn't more aggressive about covering this story. And I'll tell you what happened. Back in about 2014, 15, I met with a group of guys some of whom worked for lawyers representing some of the victims in that case. And Epstein had done his time that year, you know, country club in and out of, you know, easy jail time thing. And the allegations were that he was still doing what he was doing. He had young girls and there was all this, all the, the stuff we know about today. And I met with these guys that had a big file on it. And I was trying to fashion a predator like sting operation in which we could catch him and the levels of security at the, his place in New York were such that it was very difficult to come up with something. Um, the Florida thing was difficult to come up with something. I worked it pretty diligently. And honestly, guys, I got busy with other stuff, right? So I let it go. It was the Miami Herald, which stayed on that story doggedly. And day after day after day reported on it, interviewed the the victims, the survivors, and really made that case. And, you know, even the U.S. attorney in New York will tell you and has said publicly that without the Miami Herald reporting, that case doesn't get prosecuted. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a lesson there to, to stand for you know, journalists and, and, and people who, who do this sort of thing to stay on top of it. And, 
And that's why, you know, I've got two or three things coming up very soon that I'll be able to talk about soon um, where we just keep chipping away at it. Big, big cases. And, and the Onision case that's coming up on uh, January 4th on Discovery Plus, I mean, that is an example of it. It's something that I first came across doing the YouTube channel, which I sort of started doing just to have a presence in the space. And all of a sudden this thing blew up on the Onision story, this other YouTuber who is accused of, you know, bullying and predator behavior and victimizing and videotaping the victimizing the victimization and putting it out there. You know, suddenly this has turned into a major series on uh, Discovery Plus streaming. And it's one of their first big stories, to, big shows to come out on January 4th. So, you know, that's an example of, you know, just sticking with it and chipping away at it. And, and you know, you know, we're, we're, that was a very quick turnaround and we're still months and months and months putting it together. But, um, it's going to have impact, and I think there'll be some justice after it airs for the, the victims here, the survivors. So, yeah, tell us about this Discovery ID show. I mean, this is a brand-new show for you. You've hosted many shows. How, what? Tell us a little bit more about this show. So this it's Discovery Plus Streaming. So it's a new streaming service that rolls out after the, you know, the first of the year to compete with you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the others that have become so popular. And, and I've done a lot of work with ID over the years. I had a series for a few years over there. Uh, uh, Killer Instinct with Chris Hansen, and they're really good, smart people. And I've been doing the Onision story on the on the um, YouTube channel, and this thing all of a sudden, you know, I wake up one day and I've got three hundred and twenty thousand subscribers, and you know, some of these videos with the his victims have millions of views. And it's like, oh my god, I've got this entity that I've got to now feed and work on and report and it evolved and you know got better and we covered a lot of different stories ultimately but Onision was the was the main one and so I was having lunch with a executive at uh, Discovery and I explained to her about this story I told her about it and then you know two weeks later we had a meeting with executives and four weeks later after that we had a green light and so you know I got together with uh, Blackfin Productions the same folks who did the uh, Aaron Hernandez story and so many other incredible, you know, pieces of television and, and cinema that they've done. And we collaborated on this and, and a couple other things. This is the first one that's coming out, but it's 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 an amazing, amazing look, not only at how somebody can get away with this. And, and one of the victims who goes by the name of Shiloh, who is a Canadian pop star, totally lost the early part of her career, part of it, because she fell in love with this guy. And you see on camera him putting this garish makeup on her and shaving her head and, and, and recording a seizure she has and basically telling her that you're, you know, a piece of shit and nothing's going to ever go your way because I control your life. I and mean, this is the kind of stuff that he would do. And there's story after story after story and inappropriate relationships online and in person with young women. And, you know, he thought he'd get away with it. And it was, he was protected in this YouTube world and YouTube has a lot of explaining to do on this, too, because here's a guy. I mean, they see it. He got in early on the YouTube space and was afforded toolboxes, Google apparatus that you could use to exploit the the uh, ad revenue on this thing and made millions and millions of dollars all the while, you know, preying on a very vulnerable female population. This guy will attack anybody. He'll attack. He attacks me all the time. I mean, his his day is coming very soon. But YouTube has done nothing, virtually nothing to reel this guy in. And and I've had communications with the CEO, Susan Wojcicki, about uh, this and others. 
uh, on YouTube and I get a, you know, a policy statement. You know, we don't comment on certain things. I mean, they'll comment on some goofy, you know, hey, we're doing a YouTube event, but they won't comment on the the, the real problem here. And it's it's going to become an issue. And they're going to, once this airs on January 4th, they're going to have to come up with something here because it's 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 beyond the wild, wild west. You think that when this does air, they will have to change their policies? I think so. They're going to, they're going to, people are going to be outraged at what they see on this. Not only is it some of the most amazing television, and I got to give credit to Blackfin because, um, you know, Gino McDermott there and, and uh, Stephanie Nains and Grace Miller, who was the showrunner. I mean, just, you know, I, I literally today, as we record this, I watched um, the first of three parts and there'll probably be more after these here, but it's some of the most powerful television I've ever been involved in. Absolutely. Well, I got to say, as a as a father of a daughter, thank you for everything that you do out there. Because well, I, my pleasure. We're going to keep know, keep doing it. A lot more work to be done, guys. Yeah. Thank you for your time today. You know, for people Absolutely. out there, Thanks for go check me. out his podcast, Predators I've Caught. Uh, check out his show on Discovery Plus. And I am excited to see how this goes down after uh, January 4th. So yeah. good luck with everything, man. You and, you and me both. <laughs> uh, Chris Hansen, man, I, I got to be honest with you. He was always, we, he was in my, we shared an office because he used to host, host a show called Crime Watch Daily and we'd be on the same floor and he was always so good to me, but it was always so scary anytime you ran into him. Like he was the nicest guy, <laughs> cool, nice guy you want to have a beer with, just like a really nice guy, but very scary when you first You know, Adam, there's no reason to be nervous to run into him unless... You have something to be. Well, you know what's about. funny, Dax? The first time I ever met him, he goes, "Oh my god, great meeting! What's your name?" And I gave him a fake name for some reason. What? You know? I, I don't know. I just gave him a fake name. Can I say nothing screams guilty than getting nervous around him and giving? Him I know, a fake name I know. So, so dumb, man. But good guy. Make sure you check out his show and and honestly, just you put him in YouTube and just watch the videos. You'll be entertained for hours. Uh, it's it's so good. Uh, you can find me at, at Adam Glynn, G-L-Y-N. You can find Dax Holt at Dax Holt, H-O-L-T. Check out the Hollywood up. Just getting too excited to sign yeah, up there. Check out the you? Hollywood Raw podcast. We're on YouTube. We're on TikTok. We're on Triller, Instagram, and Facebook uh, to keep up with what we're doing. We got some really cool guests coming up. And, and go check, go onto YouTube so you can check out our new backdrops because now we're like, we we're made real. it. We're legit now. We, we made, made it. it. Um, but uh, yeah, man, we're on all social media platforms. Leave us a review and uh, we'll read it on air. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Ahura Media Productions.